this series called God Never Said That. And we're talking about different cultural beliefs and different ideas that have kind of snuck in to our ideology that God never said. And we've been kind of redefining a few of these things. And I don't know about for you, but for me, and I, talking to a few people that I've talked to, this has been absolutely huge in some of our lives and some of our faith journeys, just kind of digging into some of these assumptions and, and kind of figuring out what God actually said and, and did God actually say this or did God actually say that? And it's been kind of shifting the way some of us view God and the way some of us relate to God. And it's been so crucial and so huge. And so I'm really thankful for it. Um, to catch you guys up of where we've been, the first week, uh, Sam opened it up and he talked talked about how there's this cultural belief that God wants you to be happy, that above all else, God wants you to be happy, and that that makes God happy. And, and we said, you know, it is true that God does love it when we're happy. He created us to enjoy life, but before God wants you to be happy, he wants you to be holy, because we said that holiness is the fulfilled, abundant life that God created us for. And so before we go chasing all of these temporary things that, are going, that we think are going to make us happy, God looks at it and he says, no, 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 I, see, I know better. <laughs> and, and so God kind of steers us in the path of holiness before he steers us in the path of happiness. And so then in the second week, Sam talked about how there's this cultural idea that God will never give you more than you can handle. And we kind of laughed about that because there are times when you're in over your head and you feel like you're sinking and then you go, wait. I think I was fed a line. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and there are times when you go, wait, I thought God said he'd never give me more than I can handle, but this sure as heck feels like more than I can handle. What's going on here? And we said, you know, God will give you more than you can handle. He actually almost always gives you more than you can handle, but he never gives you more than he can handle. And he's with you when you're in over your head. And then in the third week, uh, we broke things down and we talked about how uh, there's this cultural belief that God helps those who help themselves. And we kind of tore that apart last week. And if you guys want to check any of these out, they're all on the podcast. Uh, but essentially with the God helps those who help themselves, we essentially said, you know, we don't really get to make that first move. God's already doing something in the world. God's already doing something in our lives and that something is good. And so it's a matter of us joining in on the song that God is playing and not us picking the key and picking the notes and picking the tempo and picking the rhythm. And we talked about how we want to play along with the song that God is already playing because he knows what he's doing. So with all that being said, um, and like I said, you guys can check out the podcast if you want to get a little bit more in depth on any of those. Uh, you can go to, you actually can just search Central Church on iTunes now. And it, thanks to Charlie Porter, it's, it's up there. So that's really awesome. But um, today we're going to talk about the idea that if you just had more faith, God would fill in the blank. Originally, kind of what got my wheels turning because of my experiences and such was if you had more faith, God would heal you. Uh, but you could really fill in the blank. There's this cultural idea that if you just had more faith, God would do this or God would do that. And we're kind of taught this and we're kind of shown this throughout our tradition and, and throughout the way that we're raised and the way that we're taught to view God. And, and we're going to talk today about how God never said that. So if you guys just want to pray with me real quick, we'll jump into it. Jesus, I thank you so much just for who you are. God, we thank you that we don't have to ask you to show up this morning, that you're already here. And we thank you that you already are making us more aware of your presence here in this building. God, I pray that as we dig into your word this morning that 
that uh, you would just speak to us in, in such a clear way. Lord, I pray that you'd open up our hearts and just give us ears to hear you this morning. Uh, in Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen, cool. So this concept of faith, you know, and this, if you had more faith, God would dot, dot, dot. This concept of faith is talked about in a lot of different ways. Um, but mostly, the way that I have experienced the concept of faith coming up in the church, I was raised in the church, I was saved when I was four, I was baptized when I was eight, uh, I had a weird experience when I was 12, and then another weird experience when I was 16, and then another experience when I was 19. You, know, you get the picture. I've been in the church a long time, and I've had a lot of different experiences with God and all of that, but coming up, this concept of faith uh, has been interesting. Because honestly, a lot of the time, it's been talked about like it's something that you can gain or something that you can lose. You know, you can lose faith, you can gain faith, you can earn faith, you know? This concept that like maybe if I just like prayed more, then God would give me more faith. You know, you guys have heard the, that whole idea of God giving you faith. You know, or this idea that like maybe if I just went to church every week instead of every other week, God would give me more faith. You know, or, or maybe if I just stop doing all those things I know I'm not really supposed to do, but I do anyway, then maybe God would give me more faith. Or maybe when I do these things that I know I'm not, not, not supposed to do necessarily, but I do them anyway, maybe God decreases my faith a little bit. <laughs> you know, there's this idea that like faith, there's almost like this faith meter that you can have that you can like fill up or you can empty depending on what you do and depending on how you earn it and depending on... Uh, what you spend it on, I don't know, you know? It's almost like faith is viewed as currency a lot of the time. And, and see, there's this huge problem with viewing faith as currency. There's a huge problem with viewing faith as something that you need enough of for God to do X, Y, Z. It changes the way that we view God. And, and not only that, but I've experienced personally, and I know a lot of people that have experienced personally, it can be extremely harmful to your spiritual journey. Because see, like, when I think of this view of faith, this view of viewing faith as currency, God will give me more faith if I do this. You know, I need more faith to do that. You know, that, that, that concept, viewing faith as a currency or a commodity, when I think of that, I think of specific examples in my life. And, and if it's okay with you guys today, I'm going to get a little bit honest with you, and I'm going to tell you a few different stories of things that I've experienced, and we're just kind of kind of walk through them together. The first thing that I think of when I think of people or, or times that I'll hear pastors and preachers even talk about faith like a currency, I think of, of this time, uh, my, my ex-girlfriend, uh, her mom has bipolar, and uh, her, she has bipolar disorder. She's struggled with it since she was in her early 20s, and um, now she's in her 50s, and you know, she still, still has it, still dealing with it and all of that. And, and when I was dating my ex-girlfriend, um, her family started to go through this like, Bible study, is what they called it. Um, and there was this guy, he's, he's kind of, they, they call him a faith healer, um, which that wears me out just even saying that word, but... <laughs> They call him a faith healer, and they went through this Bible study of this faith healer, and I, I won't drop his name. Maybe some of you guys listen to him, and I don't want to offend you, but um, he's a pretty well-known guy, and they started going through his material, and, and at first, my, my ex-girlfriend was sharing with me 
all of the things that they were learning. And at first, it sounded like really awesome stuff. Like at first, it sounded really, it sounded pretty biblical. It sounded pretty like, pretty good. Oh yeah, I do, I do think God is like that. Oh yeah, I do think that this and that. And, and eventually, what ended up happening was there was a point where my ex-girlfriend's mother decided that God wanted to heal her of her bipolar disorder. And that the only thing that was in the way of her bipolar disorder being healed was the fact that she was taking medication for bipolar disorder. And she had hit the point where she was convinced that by her taking this medication, she was proving that she didn't trust God enough to heal her if she were to stop taking her meds. And when I heard this, I immediately said, that's a really bad idea but I wasn't in a position to really do anything about it. And she stopped taking her bipolar medication and things spiraled very quickly. Um, there was a point where she was having thoughts of suicide. There was a point where she attempted suicide. There was a point where she was in a mental hospital for a few weeks while they were trying to get things right and she was under 24 seven watch. And then after that ensued months and months of her trying different medications that would maybe work. And what had happened was her original medication was working for her, but when she stopped taking that original medication, the neural pathways in her brain got all messed up. And she couldn't just go back to the medicine that she was on previously. That didn't work anymore. She had to try something new, or different doses, or different combinations. And so for the next probably three or four months, they had to monitor her closely as she tried all of these different things to get things back to where they were beforehand. And the entire time, she had this incredible burden on her of, why in the world did God not heal me? I, I thought that that medication was me not trusting that God would heal me. So I thought if I threw away my medication, that God would heal me. And next thing you know, I'm in a mental ward for two weeks. And how does that happen? And there was a lot of, there was a lot of disappointment and there was a lot of frustration and there was a lot of anger, not, not only with God, but with the situation that was residual in that family for quite a while and there were things that they had to work through and there was a lot of there was a lot of fighting and struggling through why didn't God do that I thought that's how things worked you know and what ended up happening was she felt guilty because she felt like she didn't have enough faith. Maybe because, maybe I threw my medicine away and that proved that I, that I trusted in God, but maybe after I threw my medicine away, I doubted that God could actually do it maybe for like a half a second and maybe that's why God didn't do it. And she started to ask all these questions and play out all these scenarios of why God didn't do this. And for a few months, that family kind of just had to sit in this rubble of what in the world is God doing? Because God didn't operate the way they thought he operated. And so she was asking, do, do I have enough, do I not have enough faith? Do I, do I have enough faith? And is this God's fault or how? And this putting the pieces together was so difficult for them, when I, when I think of this view of faith, I think about this conference that I attended in Chicago one time. 
There was this conference in Chicago. Again, I won't name the name um, just because... Honestly, I think that what they do is really great a lot of the time, but it's a more charismatic worship band, and we went out there to go experience this weekend you know, conference, and, and during the weekend, it was really great. There were a lot of things that we learned, and, and God did a lot of really cool things. They kept bringing people on stage at this conference that had some kind of ailment, some kind of illness, some kind of, you know, their leg doesn't work right, or their knees all messed up, or their backs hurt, or whatever. And they kept bringing these people up on stage at this conference, and they would pray over them, and then these people would be like, automagically healed, you know? And, and I'm sitting in this conference, and part of me, obviously the cynic and the skeptic in me goes, yeah, okay, you're faking it, right? But then the other half of me goes, whoa, I mean, I know God does that sort of thing. Like, I, I, you read about it in the Gospels. Like, I know people that have been healed by God in supernatural ways. Like, I'm not denying that that happens. I just don't know what to do with this. You don't see that every day. You know, someone comes up in a back brace, and then they take their back brace off, and they're doing cartwheels. Like, what? I don't know what to do about that. I don't know. It's just weird. You know what I mean? It's just odd. And, you know, what they told us at this conference was, that if you just believed that God would do it, God wants to do it. And it doesn't matter what it is. If you just believed that God would do it, he wants to do it. And so we left one of the nights and me and my group of friends were walking back. It was a longer walk back to the bus that we were, uh, that we were going to. And, and on the way back, there was, a, there was a guy that was in a wheelchair. And we thought, oh, he must have something wrong with his legs or maybe something wrong with his back. You know, they were doing it on the stage and they were saying that that same power is in us, but let's pray for the dude, right? Like what's the worst thing that could happen, right? They just said, if we believe enough that God's gonna do it, that God's gonna do it, let's pray for the guy, right? So in an act of courage and boldness, we go up to a total stranger and we say, hey, we believe that God wants to heal you so that you don't need that wheelchair anymore. Can we pray for you, sir? He says, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. So we start praying for him. And then we keep praying for him. And then we keep praying for him. Not exaggerating, 25 minutes later, another group of Christians from the same conference comes up. Oh, you're praying for that dude? Dude, can we jump in? Maybe more prayers. Maybe if more people are praying, God will hear us. More people join and, and more people are laying hands, and it gets to the point where there are so many hands on this guy and on his wheelchair that we can't fit all the hands. So then you know how like you touch the person that's touching the guy, and you feel like that's doing something? <laughs> um, that starts happening, right? Next thing you know, there's a group of probably 50 people, and they're all rallied around this guy in a wheelchair, and they all believe 100% God is going to heal this guy because God said he wants to heal everyone. And if we just believe enough that God's going to heal this guy, then God's going to heal this guy. We prayed for the dude for about an hour. And there was a point where in my head I just started going, huh. I don't, I don't know if an hour didn't do it. I don't know if an hour and a half is going to be money. You know what I mean? Like, or like, like, does God, like, did God just not hear the first 18,000 prayers that just shot his way? Or, or is he not listening? Or does he just 
not want to do this? Or, or, and then I started thinking, maybe, maybe I've just been secretly doubting God this whole time. Maybe I've been like asking God to heal this guy, but like I don't really, really, really think he's going to heal this guy. I just kind of really, really think he's going to heal this guy. You guys know what I'm saying? And I started thinking, like, maybe, maybe it's my fault, or maybe it's God's fault, or maybe it's both. I don't know. And after about an hour, I just walked away, and people were still praying over the guy. I don't know how long people were there. I just walked away, and then a few of my friends started to stagger away, and we went back to the hotel we were staying that night, completely defeated, and we were just like, huh. I wonder what was going on up on that stage. We started thinking, huh, you know, they're saying that God wants to heal this person, God wants to heal that person, and that if we just believed enough that God would do it, I think I believed enough. I don't know. When I think about this view of faith, I think about my friend Brian. Um, my friend Brian, I met him at Starbucks. He, uh, he used to frequent this 12 and Gratiot Starbucks. If you guys have been there, it's a good one. I don't know. They're all the same, but it's a good one. <laughs> I like the people there. Um, I'm a Starbucks fiend, man. Like, I, I decided this week I was going to try and not have coffee every single day. It's been rough some days, man. I still have it every other day. But like this morning, I didn't have it, and I was just... I've been a mess all morning. So, um, but I met Brian at Starbucks. He used to go to Starbucks every single day. He's a freelance graphic designer, uh, and he was born crippled. Uh, he was, he's in a wheelchair. He, you know, his legs never fully formed. His back, his spine doesn't really hold his body up very well. And so he wears this strap underneath his arms that keeps him sitting up in his wheelchair. I'm not sure exactly what disease he had. I, at first I thought, oh, maybe it's like ALS or maybe it's, I don't know. And uh, I asked him and it's some really odd, strange, extremely rare disease that I couldn't pronounce if I wanted to. Um, and so <clears throat> Brian's had this since birth. And so he's, his wheelchairs have kind of grown with him. You know, He just moves into a new wheelchair as he gets a little bit bigger. And um, Brian is, I, I sometimes say that Leo is the smiliest, happiest person I've ever met in my life. It's not true. Brian is the smiliest, happiest person I've ever met in my entire life. Um, he's a wonderful guy. And so I met him at Starbucks, and then I, we were starting this college group in the area, and our college group decided that we were going to start meeting at Starbucks. And then eventually Brian started coming to our college group at the church. And Brian got saved and he got baptized and it was all really awesome. He loved worship music, absolutely loved to sing to Jesus. That was like his favorite thing. And he'd come to these worship nights that we would have that were like two hours long. And at the end, he'd be like, dude, can we just keep going? And like I'd look out as I was leading worship and I'd see Brian in his wheelchair with his hands raised high. And it was just one of the coolest things I've ever experienced. Um, I, at that time, I went to also a pretty charismatic church, and, you know, there were times where it would be preached that, you know, if you just believed, God would heal you. And Brian, at one point, told me, you know what? I am convinced that at some point, 
God is going to heal me and I'm not gonna need this wheelchair anymore. I just know it. I just know that that is what God wants to do and I'm just believing for it. And so we used to pray for Brian all the time and we just thought, you know, maybe one of these Thursday nights, just a random, weird, magical Thursday night, Brian's just gonna stand up and we're gonna throw his wheelchair away and we're all gonna celebrate and it's gonna be amazing. You know, I ran into Brian um, a few months back, probably six months back or so, and I saw him at same Starbucks. <laughs> it's like same time, same day, you know what I mean? And I ran into him and he was like, I was asking him how he's doing and he was telling me about his life and he said again, you know what, I know God's gonna heal me. I just can't wait until it happens. I said, that's really awesome, Brian. I'll be praying for you, man. Um, on May 1st, Brian passed away. He, uh, he went to sleep without his CPAP machine on, on accident, and it helps him breathe when he's sleeping because his body can't hold itself up. And he, uh, he suffocated in his sleep. And on May 1st, Brian died. And uh, I heard it from a couple friends, and then it made its way to Facebook, and you know they had a funeral service and everything. And I just remember May 1st was a tough day for me because I believed alongside of Brian that God was going to heal him. And there was obviously the skeptic part of me that said, yeah, but maybe not. But I just was pulling for the dude, you know what I mean? And he believed it so much, it was one of those things where you're just like, dude, you're gonna, you're gonna get it. You believe it so much, man, this is... And on May 1st, um, he passed away. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, was it Brian's fault? Did, did God let him down or, you know? Like what happened? What went wrong in this equation? And this view of faith can be extremely destructive because it's just not how God works. I refuse to believe that God was waiting on Brian to believe enough to heal him. I refuse to believe that God was waiting on Brian to believe enough. I choose to believe that God was with Brian through the entire process. And I choose to believe that God is with Brian now. And I choose to believe that Brian is fully healed and in the presence of his Savior, singing those worship songs he loved so much, day in and day out to Jesus' face. And so the question is, how does this whole faith thing work? If it's not I have to believe enough, if it's not I have to have enough faith or I have to earn more faith for God to do X, Y, Z, then how does it work? Because obviously through our experiences, and I'm sure as I tell these stories, you guys are thinking about your own stories. Like God is not an ATM machine. He's not a magic genie where you can just like, you get three wishes and whatever they are, they come true. It's just not how it works. And, and I, I believe that when we see this view of faith as like, I need to do X, Y, Z to earn God's favor so that God will do this thing for me, I think that that breaks God's heart. I really believe that that breaks God's heart because see, God never promised us a life without pain. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. And when we follow a savior that was crucified on a cross, 
in, in the most painful, agonizing, and shameful death that anyone has ever died, it's hard for me to believe that it's just as easy and cushiony as if I just believe enough, God's just gonna do it. Because that's not how it works. I'm thinking about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Father, if there's any way that this cup can be taken away from me. And the Father still allowed Jesus to go to the cross and allowed Jesus to experience suffering. Life isn't without suffering, but I believe that God is with us during it and through it. So the question this morning, I know we haven't got into a lot of Bible because I've just been telling you stories, but the question this morning is, um, where do we get this idea of faith and how can we change it? Right? If there's this idea that we have to earn enough faith for God to do X, Y, Z, how can we change that? Where do we get it from? And there's this passage in Luke 17, verses 5 through 6, where Jesus talks about faith. And a lot of people use this passage to, to hold up this idea of faith as currency. Faith is something that you earn. Faith is something that you can lose. Faith is something that you need to have enough of. And, and I'm going to show you through this passage this morning that that's not what Jesus was talking about. So let's, let's put it up there on the screen. You guys can turn to it if you want to. Luke 17, 5 through 6, it says, The apostles said to the Lord, Show us how to increase our faith. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> the Lord answered, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted into the sea and it would obey you. Whoa, right? Let's start with the first part there. The apostles came to Jesus and they said, show us how to increase our faith. You immediately see this faithometer, you know, this faith is currency, right? Show us how to increase our faith, Jesus. And how does Jesus respond? He says, even if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. Do you guys know how small a mustard seed is? Have you ever seen it? Mustard seeds are about that big. You probably can't even see that space between my fingers. Mustard seeds are so small. I almost brought mustard seeds today, like as an analogy, as an example, and I thought no one would be able to see it. Pinch between my fingers, no one can see it. Like, it's, it's pointless. It's so small. Think about this in terms of currency. If we were thinking about faith as currency, if you came to a financial advisor, a financial expert, and you said, show me how to increase my money, right? They came to Jesus and they said, show us how to increase our faith. And you said, show me how to increase my money. And the financial advisor said, all you need is one dollar and you can do whatever you want. You'd go, uh, nope. <laughs> I know how far a dollar gets me, especially in this economy. Like, inflation's pretty rough. A dollar doesn't get me very far, man. Like, I'm gonna need a little bit more than that. You gotta show me how to increase my money. What if a financial advisor told you, if you just had a dollar, all you had was one dollar, you could move mountains. You could do anything you want. The world is wide open to you. It doesn't make any sense, does it? But the disciples come to Jesus and they say, show us how to increase our faith. And Jesus said, if you just had this much, you could tell that tree to go throw itself in the ocean and it would do it. It's weird, isn't it? 
And you see, what I think Jesus is doing is he's turning this idea of faith as currency upside down on them. Immediately, he's turning this idea of faith as currency upside down because the way that the disciples saw it was, you know, I have a little bit of faith, but, but Jesus, show me how to increase my faith so that maybe if I don't have a little bit of faith anymore and I have a lot of faith, maybe then God will do X, Y, Z. And Jesus says, that's not the name of the game, guys. If you even had this much, you could do anything because you have tapped into the power of God himself. See, this word faith, we get it, we get it mixed up. We get it twisted as like these things that we can do to earn God's favor. We think about faith as this like magical, weird word that like, you know, it's a culmination of everything that we do as Christians and everything, you know, how much God likes us and then eventually God will do this thing for us. But, but see, faith is not that. Throughout the Bible, faith has been simply defined as trust. It's that simple. Like, I'm not even gonna give you a Greek word. I'm not even gonna give you a Hebrew word. I'm not gonna get even any further into it because literally all faith means is trust. And Jesus tells the disciples, listen, if you even just trusted me this much, man, the things that you could do, the things that you could experience, the things that you could be a part of, and see, it shifts the idea from faith being something that we do faith being something that we initiate, faith being something that we are responsible for, this burden that we carry to convince God eventually to do this thing, it shifts the conversation to faith being trust in something that God does. Faith being trust in who God is. And when you put it that way, it kind of changes the way that we view that word, doesn't it? There's this example of faith in Genesis 22, and it's used throughout scripture as like this paramount example of what faith is. And essentially, to give you guys a little bit of a background, there's this guy named Abram, and then God changes his name to Abraham, and he calls him away from his people, and he says, I'm gonna start a new thing with you, and I'm gonna do a new thing in the world, and you're gonna have a nation that comes after you, and and this nation is gonna be different, It's going to be a nation that is for everyone, not a nation that is against everyone. It's going to be a nation that takes care of the poor. It's not going to be a nation that exploits them. It's going to be a nation where people are forgiven for their wrongdoings. It's not going to be a nation where the hammer comes down hard. It's going to be a nation of grace and love and acceptance. And so God calls Abraham away from his people, and he's trying to establish with Abraham how this God that he's following, this Yahweh God, actually works. And then there's this story in Genesis 22 where God comes to Abraham and he tells him, I want you to sacrifice your son. He tells him, I want you to take your son, your one and only son who you love, and I want you to carry him to the top of the mountain to the place where you sacrifice animals, and I want you to kill him, and I want you to burn him as a sacrifice. And I can imagine Abraham's brain going, what? Right? Like, this just sounds weird, man. Like, this, I thought you said this was going to be a new thing. Like, Abraham's previous culture was the one that did all the child sacrifice. He's like, I thought we were about done with that. I thought you weren't like that. But Abraham 
trusting in who God is and believing in who God is ends up doing something a little bit different. And so in verse three, it says, the next morning Abraham got up early and he saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. And then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and he set out a place for God uh, a play, he set out for the place that God had told him about. And on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we will come back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire in the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Awkward moment, right? <laughs> Isaac goes, Dad, um, there's one thing missing from this equation, and uh, I think it, you're not gonna, like, it's not me, right? <laughs> you know? And Abraham replies, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, they both walked on together. Now, I had always read this story as faith as currency. And so when I read this story, the way that I had always seen it coming up was that Abraham believed in God so much that he was going to kill his son Isaac to please this God that he believed in so much. And the way that I had always read this story was that that was proof that Abraham was so devoted to God that God had to listen to him. God had to come through for him. God had to act on his behalf because, I mean, I was gonna kill my son for you. You know what I mean? That was the way that I'd always read this passage. And then a few years ago, I noticed something in the text. You see, Abraham tells the people that are his servants, we will go up and we will come back. He tells his servants, me and Isaac are gonna go up and we're gonna do the offering thing and then me and Isaac are gonna come back. Huh. Before he even climbed the mountain, he knew that ain't who God is. It's, it's not gonna go down that way because he knew his son was coming back with him. And then when Isaac asks Abraham, hey, we have the fire and we have the knife, but we don't have the sacrifice. What's the deal with the sacrifice? Abraham doesn't say, well, right now the working plan is it's you. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> no, he says, God will provide a lamb. Don't worry about it, Isaac. God has got it taken care of. And it ain't gonna be you. God will provide a sheep for the sacrifice. The way that the story unfolds is they get up to the top of the mountain and there's a ram with its horns stuck in a bush. And you know what? I don't think Abraham was surprised. I think Abraham got to the top of that mountain and he said, I knew it. I knew that was the, I knew this was the God that I followed. I knew that God wasn't like all those other gods. I knew that God wasn't mean. I knew that God wasn't cruel. I knew that God was good. 
And I knew that God didn't, God, it doesn't put a smile on God's face when we sacrifice our kids to him. I know that God doesn't require that kind of stuff from me. I knew that God was gonna come through and he did. It changes the story a little bit, doesn't it? See, Abraham knew God, even this early on in their covenant, this early on in their promise, Abraham knew who God was and he knew that whatever God was gonna do, it was gonna be good. And he didn't know exactly how it was gonna play out and he had a rough idea, but he went walking into it anyway and he said, God, I'm not gonna tell you what to do. I don't know what you're gonna do because you're God and you know I'm not and I don't understand everything, but I believe that you're gonna be good to me. I believe that you're doing something good in my life and in my world, and I will follow you to the ends of the earth, and I will even carry my son up to this mountain with no sacrifice, knowing that you are gonna come through for me because I know the kind of God that you are. Changes the story a little bit, doesn't it? Changes it from, oh, Abraham was so devoted to his God that he was gonna kill his son for him, to Abraham knew his God and knew that his God was good. See, when we talk about faith, true faith has two main components. The two main components that true faith has, you can write this down if you're taking notes, is number one, it's trusting that God is who he says he is. It's that simple. True faith is trusting that God is who he says he is. It's trusting that God will do what he promised he will do. It's trusting that God is good. It's trusting that even though circumstances don't look like it, God has things under control. And then the second component of true faith, and this is the hard one, it's letting go of all the other stuff you don't have figured out. It's trusting who God is, but then it's saying, God, I'm not gonna try and manipulate this whole situation and take all the pieces and put them where they need to be. God, I believe that you're way better at that than I am. And it's a matter of saying, God, I'm not gonna tell you what to do, but I'm here and I'm along for the ride. And I know that whatever happens, you are good. And I know that whatever happens, you know best. And I know that whatever happens, above all else, you are Lord. I don't know about you guys, but in this political season we're in, that's, an e that's a really good thing for me to keep a hold of. No matter what happens, God is good. No matter what happens, he is Lord. No matter what happens, he is doing a good work in the world. And if he says he's gonna do it, he is going to do it. Paul says in Philippians that he will finish the good work that he started in us. And that applies to everything. If God started something good, he doesn't leave things undone. He will finish it. And Abraham looked back and he said, listen, God called me to this new thing, this new way, this new nation. God called me to this, this new way of understanding God and, and I believe that God's not just gonna leave me hanging here. I believe that God's gonna finish what he started. And Abraham's story is the first time in any ancient writings where 
it's recorded that God doesn't want you to sacrifice your child for him. Isn't that crazy? A lot of people actually believe that Abraham's story, the recorded story there in Genesis, began the movement to stop child sacrifice on a major level. Whoa, right? Isn't that insane? Abraham didn't know what God was doing, but he walked with it, and he walked into it. He said, God, I don't have everything figured out. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I know that whatever happens, you are good. See, when we're talking about faith, we're actually talking about trust. When we're talking about trust, there's this element of trust that's kind of like, it's kind of developed over time. You know what I mean? Like when you trust somebody, a lot of the time it's like you can look back on all of these years and years of, oh, they've never done me wrong. They'll never do me wrong. I trust this person. I love this person. And for some of us, whatever situation you're thinking of in your head right now where you thought you just needed more faith for God to do X, Y, Z, I would like to invite you to just lean into the fact that God is good and just lean into the fact that God is God and just lean into the fact that God is in control and he knows you and he loves you and he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Just lean into the fact that he knows and he finishes every good work that he starts, including you. There's also this element of trust where you can trust somebody pretty quickly if they come through for you in the clutch. You know what I mean? Like those times that someone does that thing that they didn't have to do, and then you look back on it and you go, man, that person, I can trust them. I like that person. (laughs) They're my friend, they're on my team. And I encourage you today, if you're having a hard time trusting God, I encourage you to look back on all of the things that he has done for you, all the times that he's been good. See, when when Brian passed away on May 1st, all that I could do was look back and say, you know what, this hurts a lot, but there's never been a time that I can look back on that I can say that God was not good to me. And I know that there's never been a time that Brian can look back on that say that God was not good to him And I know that Brian's with Jesus right now and he would way rather be there than he is here stuck in a wheelchair with a strap under his arms. And I look back and I said, you know what? God has always been good and he will always be good and I don't have to have the rest of it figured out. And that's faith. So I invite you guys this morning to join me and to lean into that whatever it is that's going on in your life that you feel like you need more faith for, Jesus says, if you just trusted me this much, it'll all work itself out. It's all gonna be okay because I am God and I love you and I'm with you and I'm for you and that is enough. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you so much for speaking today. God, I thank you just for your goodness to us. And, and Lord, we pray this morning that as we, as we have these tougher conversations about what it looks like to trust you and what it looks like to lean into who you are and what it looks like to have faith in what you're doing, Lord, I, 
I pray that you would just make us a people of faith, people that trust in who you are, people that know who their God is and people that know that their God is good. God, I pray that you would give us the ability to just join in on the work that you're doing. Lord, I pray that you would just, that you would comfort us and allow us to not have to have everything figured out. God, I pray that all of our anxieties about whatever situation it might be would just fall away right now, Lord, that as we lean into you, that we would just feel the embrace of your love and that we would just know that you're good and we would know that you'll provide. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, everyone said.